you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 34 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Over the past four weeks, we have been walking through a series on community, considering some of the characteristics and important aspects of what a healthy biblical community includes and looks like specifically in a local church. We began that series actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and so we're kind of coming back to conclude this series this morning in the chapter prior. We began by looking at the body of Christ, the fact that we're one, the fact that we're independent, the fact that uh, we're interdependent, I should say, that, that we need each other, that we've been called to be part of this community, and that every one of us matters, and every one of us has a role to play in the life of this church. We looked the second week at how we've been called to be a growing community, rooted and built up in the faith. Pastor Jeremy walked us through Hebrews chapter 10 as we considered the importance of being together on a regular basis. We would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we can be present to stir each other up to love and good deeds. Last week we looked at The calling that each of us have from the Great Commission to make disciples, that we are called as disciples to be disciple makers. That is all of our responsibility, to be engaging with each other, to be involved in each other's lives, to encourage each other towards Christ. And today we conclude our series by looking at the importance of the Lord's Supper as it relates to Christian community. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat... Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, 
so that when you come together, it will, be not, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word today, we would ask for your presence and your guidance. Lord, as we consider the things that Paul had to say to the church at Corinth, Lord, would you instruct us by it? Would you help us to see the connection of being together, even in the context of the Lord's Supper and all that it means and points us to? Father, would you instruct our hearts and lives today in a way that would do us good and would bring you much glory? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is true that people, no matter where you go, people desire to have a sense of belonging. People desire to feel a sense of connection, even the introverts among us, myself included. It's what we desire. We desire to be known, and we desire to know others. That's true in the church, and that's true out of the church. Community is something that matters to people. As you read the different recommendations and studies that researchers have done on the topic of building strong community, and this is uh, not necessarily church-related, but there's been a lot written, a lot of studies conducted concerning how to bond closer together, how to be, uh, how, to, how to enjoy community, how to, to, to grow in our relationships with each other. There's a common recommendation that is often given, even by the secular world, for people to maintain a sense of close connection. And that one thing that you'll often find is probably not what's expected. Researchers will tell you that in order to find a sense and maintain a sense of close connection and community, that people should eat together. That if you want a, a, a strong sense of family, where you are known and you know each other well, eat together regularly. You'll find that that, that is the case, and, and even doctors will tell you that, that it has health benefits, depending on what you eat, but just that sense of connection and closeness together. Now, we do like to eat together, even in the church, but there's one meal that highlights our sense of community unlike any other meal that you can have. And that is the Lord's Supper. Dr. Russell Moore, in an article that he wrote about this very passage, he said this, In the supper, we confess ourselves to be sinners together, and we proclaim together the gospel that restores us to right fellowship with God and with one another. We experience Jesus in our midst, serving us the kind of meal that connects us with the upper room in Jerusalem past and with the marriage feast of the new Jerusalem future. There's a sense of connection and community that is on display even when we come to the Lord's table together. But that was not happening in the church of Corinth. In fact, quite the opposite. What we find here is a church that was not at all unified when they came together. 
We're a church that were greatly divided, and the context for that to be seen was actually, and unfortunately, sadly, the, 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 the context of the Lord's Supper, when the church would come together to observe the Lord's Supper. It wasn't unity on display. It wasn't the sense of community that was on display. It was rather factions, disunity. So as we consider this passage today, I want us to consider it in light of its context and in light of this call to community that we have as God's people. We ought to come to the Lord's Supper with a mind toward Christ and a mind toward the community that he has established. So as we consider the Lord's Supper in light of that, I want us to note four things that Paul helps us see when it comes to the idea of community and the Lord's Supper, the connection between the two. Four things that I think will help us see that and serve us well in the coming days. Let's look at these together. Number one, when we come together for the Lord's Supper, we know that communion, Lord's Supper, expresses our unity. Communion expresses our unity. You know, we often turn to these verses, and we read beginning in verse 13. We read beginning with a four, which is clearly connected to verses before it, right? We, we typically think of 1 Corinthians 11 as the Lord's Supper passage, and we read verses 23 through 26. We might add on 27 and 28 to talk about the examination part. But oftentimes, we leave it out of its clear context, uh, a clear context that, that Paul's uh, seeking to use this, this calling to the Lord's Supper to address a greater issue going on in the life of the church. When you look at the context of these verses, Paul's main purpose is not so much to explain the Lord's Supper, but to confront a significant problem of disunity in the church that unfortunately had been magnified when they came together for the Lord's Supper. On the one hand, they were obeying Hebrews 10 quite well. They were not forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They were coming together But they were clearly in disobedience of the command of that passage. They were not seeking to do one another good in the Lord. In fact, in verse 17, you see it here, don't you? When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. They were divided. How so? Well, verses 18 through 22 give us some insight to that. So in the, first, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. So they were divided. They were divided people. Well, how were they divided? He goes on and explains that. And by the way, verse 19, he says, And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine, those who would prove to be true among you, may be recognized. Paul's not advocating there for there to be division so that good can come about. He's simply acknowledging. In fact, one of the purposes that he's writing here was to try to correct the division but he acknowledges that even when a church is divided he recognizes that God brings good out of that he recognizes that God will will even use that division to point to those who are truly his but as he goes on he goes on to say when you come together verse 20 it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat for in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal one goes hungry another gets drunk It was often the case when the early church would gather together, they would take the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal. 
And Paul's pointing out here that when they were coming together for this meal, the rich would kind of huddle up together and they would eat all of the food and drink all of the wine and some would even get drunk. I mean, can you imagine the context? In which this was there, there was a social segregation taking place in the Corinthian church. So instead of communion being an opportunity for the people of God to come together as a display of unity, it had become a platform for selfishness and disunity. Now it's most often the case that in any local church there will be some aspect of diversity present. Different kinds of people, depending on the location, that kind of diversity will vary. Old, young, rich, poor, ethnic diversity. Life circumstances are different. But the beauty of the gospel is that it brings all of these different kinds of people into fellowship with one another, into the same body. But the Corinthians were not celebrating that reality. They were putting up barriers between the different groups and thus neglecting, especially the poor among them. One of the things that you see clearly here in this context, you see it in other places, but you see it clearly here as Paul's addressing the problem. The Lord's Supper is a communal event. It is a communal time where the church comes together to celebrate what Christ has done. Again, to quote Dr. Russell Moore, he said, As we serve the table of Christ's communion, we are calling the church to a different kind of community. The kind of community that cannot be dissolved by petty conflict or disagreement. As we eat together around the table of Christ, we are called to a recognition that we are at the table of a kingdom. And we are called there to recognize the presence of the king. Not so much in the elements themselves or in the individual spiritual reflection, but in the body he has called together, a body of sinners like us. Only then will we really get to what the scriptures mean when they call us a fellowship. Brothers and sisters, communion... Another word that we use for the Lord's Supper. Communion is a time when we come together to welcome and receive each other together. Communion is not a place where distinctions are drawn. It's an opportunity to demonstrate our unity even in the midst of all of our distinctions. It's a place where the rich and the poor, where the white and the black, where the young and the old, where the officer and enlisted, where the teacher and the student come together and have equal place at the table. Communion has a lot to say about community. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper as a gathered community not just with a couple of friends hanging out in our living room. This is a communal time where we come together as God's people to observe what God has done through Christ for our sake. Notice I'm, saying, notice I'm intentionally using plural pronouns. We, our, us, not just I and me. This is a communal 
activity. And even in that, even as we come together, the danger, the danger for us, even coming into this room, sitting in the individual chair that you have taken up residence in for a few moments, there's danger in that. Because the danger is coming in here today and knowing what we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and doing so as if you are the only one in attendance. It's easy to find ourselves there in our seat, lost in our own personal reflection and consideration of the body and blood without realizing the full impact of what Christ has accomplished for the sake of the whole. Friends, when we in all of our distinctions... We come together to eat from the one bread and we drink from the one cup to celebrate our faith in the one Savior. That's why when we take communion, as we will this morning, we take the bread individually as a symbol of our individual faith in Christ, but we also hold the cup and we drink it together as a declaration or as a testimony of the fact that we are a body of believers. Communion is not just a meal that recalls what Christ did for me. Communion recalls what Christ did for us. Communion is a time when we come together to express the unity of the church. It is an opportunity for us to come together to declare that we are one in Christ. So often we approach it as a an individual, and, and there is a sense that we should, but not to the neglect of what Christ has done for the whole. Moves me to my second point. Communion not only expresses our unity, but it recalls our salvation. This is clearly the case we see in verses 23 through 25. Paul has just been in rebuke mode. Now he shifts to remind mode. He's calling them out for their, their division and for their disunity and for the fact that there were some among them being neglected and, and overlooked and, and even those in their midst who were over-abusing their place in society. There's nothing, this is not the Lord's Supper you're coming to eat. This is not at all the case. You're missing the entire point if you think that you're coming together to eat the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. It's something else. But even in the midst of that rebuke, Paul kindly reminds them of what the Lord's Supper is about. He kindly brings them back, moves from rebuke, from their abuse of the Lord's Supper to reminding them of its intended purpose, namely that we all come as guests to the Lord's table. It is His Supper to be eaten on His terms, to point us back to what He accomplished. Twice in these verses, he highlights how the observance of the supper was to remember, for us to remember. You see it there, don't you? Verse 24, when he's given thanks, he's referring back to the, the, the meal that Jesus had with the disciples in the upper room. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. What? In remembrance of me. Twice we see this, this calling to remember. So his point was simple. When, when we mistreat other believers, 
Think in the context here, when you mistreat others, when you overlook, when you neglect your responsibility even to other Christians, you're certainly not remembering the Lord. You're not remembering what Christ has done if you neglect your responsibility to your fellow Christian. The instructions Paul received about the Lord's Supper were received as direct revelation from the Lord. You see that there in the text in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Paul just acknowledges the source of his information that he's reminding them of. This came from the Lord himself. And it looks back to that Passover meal Jesus would have shared with his disciples. Now, a Passover meal was quite involved it, it, it was quite an elaborate occasion. And some of the details would vary depending on the context or the place in which one would, would observe it. But generally speaking, this is how kind of a Passover meal would flow. It would begin with a blessing. The host would pronounce a blessing upon those gathered. And then it would be, that blessing would be followed by the passing of four separate cups of wine. And this is how that would go. After the first cup of wine, the, the folks at the mill would, would then dip bitter herbs in fruit sauce and eat. And that would be followed by the retelling of the Exodus events. Maybe a little message on that, a devotion, so to speak. Which then would be followed by the singing of the Halal in Psalms 113 to 118. After that, a second cup of wine would then come. After which the host would break and pass around unleavened bread. And then the meal proper would commence, a roasted sacrificial lamb. After that, a third cup of wine would be passed, around which uh, there would be singing, more singing, the rest of the halal there in the, the psalms. And then there would be a fourth cup of wine, which would be given as the conclusion of the meal that looked forward to and celebrated the coming kingdom of God. It was likely that this Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples, it was at the moment of the third cup of wine that Jesus blessed, which would then become the cup of communion, commemorating the blood that was going to be shed. The bread that had been distributed, represented the exodus, now came to represent the body of Jesus, and the blood that represented the lamb's blood, the, the, the cup of wine, would now represent the blood of Jesus shed for our sins. And so now the, the Lord's Supper is instituted, a new Passover of sorts. Recalling the death of Jesus where he took our place, dying in our stead to accomplish the salvation that we so desperately need. So when we partake of the bread and cup, just like the Corinthian believers would have, we are doing so as a memorial. Not merely a memorial, but definitely as a memorial. These elements that we were take this morning, the, the bread and the cup that the Corinthians would have enjoyed, these are, are elements that, that do not become the body and blood of Jesus so that somehow he is sacrificed anew. Not at all. These are mere symbols that point back to what Jesus has already accomplished through his sacrifice once and for all. And the beauty of doing this together is that we see how he's not just done this for me, he's done this for us made us a family. He's made us a body. He's made us a household together. In fact, you get that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just turn back a page. 
Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul says there, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, listen to this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. I think this is again emphasizing the communal aspect of, of the Lord's Supper. This is not something that you would want to do in isolation. Now, granted, there are extreme cases in the world where you may have persecution or other things going on, but the, the, the normal pattern for the church when it comes to communion is to be gathered as a whole. an ordinance of a local church to do this. We participate, Paul says, in the death of Christ. We participate in, in the body, in the, in the cup. Simply a reminder that we share in the benefits. We share in the benefits of what Christ has done for us. And as we do this, we are spiritually strengthened and encouraged by the forgiveness that we've obtained through the body and blood of Christ. And so that's why I would say it's not merely a memorial. We, do, we are reminded of what Jesus has done, but there's a purpose of that reminder, isn't there? That purpose is to renew our faith in Christ and to encourage us and to strengthen our faith and to nourish our souls. Yes, as, even as we um, eat of, these, of the bread and, and take of the cup, there is this idea of physical nourishment that we see, but it's more than that. There's this idea of spiritual nourishment. Our souls are strengthened. We are encouraged in Christ. This is why the Lord's Supper for the Christians should not be something that, that, you, that you check out on. It's not a time when you're looking for the keys and trying to make your escape. Because the Lord's Supper is simply a reminder that we share in the benefits of what Christ has done for us. Friend, you may be here today and you may you may not know of these benefits that we're talking about. You may, you may be here today and you may, you may be thinking, well, what benefits are, are, are you, do you even mean? I, I think I'm doing quite well, actually, with life. I've got a good job. My 401K is thriving. My family and home life are great. Things that are going on, I, I don't know that I need any more benefits. Friend, I would just encourage you to think about the benefits that you would cling to in comparison to the benefits that we would speak of concerning Christ. You may think life is all well based upon external things going on in your life. But the benefits that we talk of will not just last in this life, they will take you much further to the life to come. Communion. It recalls the salvation that we have in Christ. That is clearly what what Paul is getting at here, he's, he's rebuked them for their division, and now he's saying, remember what this is all about. It is pointing us together back to the finished work of Jesus. But not only that, not only does communion reflect back upon what Christ has accomplished, it also, number three, anticipates our future. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As Paul concluded his brief instruction regarding communion, he says, as you eat and as you drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is, uh, this is not so much a, a biblical instruction on 
how often you ought to partake of communion. He simply says, for as often as you do it. You won't find a chapter and verse on how regular people ought to take the Lord's Supper. There's strong opinion out there, it seems, but there's no biblical support for that strong opinion. Some say, well, we should do this every week. Some say, we should do this once a month. Our practice here has been we're doing it every other month. Some churches do it quarterly, and there's some that even do it only once a year. The point there is that regardless of the frequency, don't miss the point, the purpose in it. The point, regardless of the frequency, is where is whenever you observe communion, you're not only expressing your unity, you're not only looking back to see what Christ has done on your behalf, you're also making a proclamation, an announcement to the world, to those gathered in your midst, of what Christ has done even as you look forward to the future. We would be missing something if we thought that the Lord's Supper was only a memorial. It does look back, but brothers and sisters, it also looks forward. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is this anticipation of what is to come based upon what has been done in the past, which encourages us in the present. Professor at Southern Seminary, Tom Schreiner, put it this way. I thought it was well said. The Lord's Supper is a family feast, not to be taken in isolation, but in community. And in this communal meal, we bolster one another's faith by looking together to Jesus in the present, based upon his completed work for us in the past, knowing that he will take us to be with him in the future. So when we join together to partake of this meal, It is not limited to the past because the death of Jesus secures our reservation for the future messianic banquet that awaits us all in the coming kingdom. You think about that. You think about what we have to anticipate. Our future. Friend, if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, for a reservation, if you will, at this future banquet, then you have nothing to anticipate but only to dread. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no future to anticipate with joy. But friend, you have a future that is much to be dreaded because of the judgment that you will face, because of your own rebellion against a holy and righteous God. Because we know that God is the creator and the holy master of the universe. He created it all and he created us all. And he called us to live in perfect communion and fellowship with him. And yet we chose our own way. We rebelled against him. We thought that we could do things just fine on our own. And so we sinned against God. We disobeyed Adam and Eve there in in the garden. They disobeyed God and and we know back from Romans that they represented us there, and that since them, that's how humanity has been, that we're lost in our, our sin, we're, we're, we're separated from God, and yet God in his mercy still loves us. God in his mercy still loves us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son into this world to live the life we should have lived and yet die the death we all deserve to die, so that based by his broken body and his shed blood for those who had placed their hope and trust in him, 
that they would be forgiven of their sins once and for all and be adopted into the family of God. Friend, if you have yet to put your trust and faith in Jesus, I beg you to do that today. Don't think for a moment, teenagers, if you think that I can just wait. I'll get my faith right when I'm a young adult. Adults, just thinking that, well, we'll see about this in a year or so. Friend, you're not promised another breath. Why would you put your future at risk by not considering the finished work of Jesus Christ and placing your faith and trust in Him? Knowing that you will be separated from God for all of eternity and enduring a future that is far worse than you could ever imagine. As the Lord's Supper reminds us that there is a future to anticipate. That is why it is to be taken by, only by Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, because this is something that we're anticipating. The, the Supper points us back, yes, but it points us forward to a greater and, 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 a, and, and a final meal that we will share together with our king. But not only does it anticipate our future, number four, communion calls us to examination. See that in verses 27 through 34, whoever, and then Paul, he goes back now, he's, he's kind of given a little side talk about communion. The point is, is they've messed it up, and he's bringing them back to what it's all about. And now he says to them, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. After he gives these instructions about the Lord's Supper, Paul returns now to the problem at hand in Corinth. They had come to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, namely that they had neglected certain members of the church, therefore showing their neglect of the Lord. Their minds and their hearts weren't upon the Lord Jesus. And if we come to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we're told here that we profane the body and blood of the Lord. That's why Paul says, let a person therefore examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup couple of things we need to examine. Number one, examine our commitment to Christ. The Lord's Supper provides us an opportunity to consider our walk with the Lord. It's a time of examination. Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul says to the church there at Philippi, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That ought to be a question that we're asking when we come to the Lord's table. Or is my life being lived in a manner worthy of the gospel? Am I, am I trusting in Christ? Am I, am I seeking Christ? And here Paul is warning about coming to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, just like the Corinthian church had. Paul's not calling us to, I think sometimes we, we misapply this. Paul's not calling us to this morbid introspection where we sit there in our seats with this sour look on our face and just thinking about how bad we are. That's not at all what this verse is saying. 
Certainly, it's calling us to consider our walk. Certainly, it's calling us to consider how we've even treated others. I think the call here is that are we examining ourselves? Are we, are we coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner? Meaning, namely, have we taken our eyes off of Christ? Verse 29, for anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body. Some think that's referring to the church. Others think, no, that's referring to Christ. The point is, it, it seems to be, based upon the context, based upon what Paul said so far, that the body here is a, is a reference to the person and work of Jesus. What he's done as his body has been broken and as his blood has been shed. So are you coming to the Lord's Supper without truly discerning all that Christ has done for you? That's what that's getting at as you examine yourself before the Lord. It's not a, the Lord's Supper is not a, a place where you have to be in perfect moral shape. Somehow reaching a standard of sanctification before God before you can partake of these elements. Friends, this meal is for sinners. This, this meal, as we come together today to take of the bread and the cup, is not for those who are perfect in their own righteousness, but those who have been clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Those who are trusting in Him and Him alone to save them. Those who are looking to Christ and not themselves. So friend, this is a time for us to examine our, our own walk with the Lord. And we see the warning here, don't we? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, I'd say the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. I think sometimes we don't know what to do with those verses. What does he mean? Drink judgment on ourselves. I think, unfortunately, the King James translates that damnation, and I'm not convinced that that's exactly what he's talking about there. What he's talking about is a sense of discipline and, and judgment as a Christian. I get that from verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. All Paul is saying is if you as a Christian come to the Lord's table without examining yourself and you do so in an unworthy, flippant manner without considering and discerning the body of Jesus, what you're doing is you're eating and drinking potential discipline upon yourself before the Lord. Either way, the point is, is made. We should treat the Lord's Supper as holy and therefore see it as an opportunity for us to examine ourselves before the Lord and be renewed. For I wonder if we even have a category in our minds for something what seems so radical to us. Does your thinking about God allow you to accept that he could send illness or even death to those who don't take his worship seriously? You say, well, that's far-fetched. Well, according to this text, not so much. It's a time for us to examine our commitment to Christ. And I would even say that it's a time for us to examine our commitment to one another. If this is a communal meal, yes, it's a time for us to reflect upon all that Christ has done and our commitment to him and our walk with him, but it's also a time to examine our relationships with each other. Notice in verse 33 what Paul says. He says, so then. It's as if he's, as, after all that he said now concerning their division and considering their remi being reminded about what Christ did, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. 
do this together. Be together when you feast, and particularly when you come together to eat and drink the bread and the cup. Friends, when we come together for communion, we are making at least two statements. We are saying that we desire this ongoing fellowship with Christ, thankful for what he's done in the past as we anticipate the future, but we are also making a statement about the thankfulness that we ought to have for the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to each of us that we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Friends, as we share in this bread and the cup, we do so not as merely individuals, but we do so as a blood-bought community of believers who are gods, not only for this life, but for the life to come. Friends, as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, remember that the portion you take, the portion you take was cut from one loaf and poured from one cup. Christ died to take a fractured humanity and to make them a new humanity and a new community a new family. Today we will in fact look back to that Passover meal in an upper room in Jerusalem. But brothers and sisters, we will also look forward to that great banquet that awaits us in the new Jerusalem. And while the height of joy on that day will be to look in the face of my Savior, rejoicing in all that he has done to get me there, I am thankful that when I gather around that table for that wonderful messianic banquet, that I will not be there alone, but that I will be there with you and you with me as we together celebrate our great King. Let's pray. Lord, it is true that you have made us a body. And it is true, O God, that you not only have made us a body, you have made us a body of many. We all come from various places and different circumstances and contexts. But yet, Lord, even in all of our differences, you have brought us together to be one. Father, we rejoice today in that. We rejoice to know what you have done for us. We rejoice that as we come together even to partake of the bread and drink from the cup, that, Lord, we are doing so as a community of blood-bought sinners that you have redeemed. Father, we thank you for this. Lord, it's my prayer today that even as we consider these things and these truths, Lord, that you would keep us from such division. Lord, that you would keep our hearts cleansed, that you would keep our eyes open, that you would keep our love genuine, that we would be a community that loves each other well. Father, that we would indeed come together that we would indeed wait for one another, that we would indeed encourage each other even in the truths in which we celebrate today around this table.
Father, we thank you so much for all and all that Christ has done. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his triumphant resurrection. And Lord, we long for that day when he will come again to deliver us once and for all. Lord, we have a great eternity that awaits us. But Lord, even now as we consider these things, would you help us to consider them with great hope and great assurance? Father, my prayer today is that even if there's some here that, that have yet to trust in Christ, that you would move upon their hearts today, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would give them eyes to see, and that you would give them new hearts so that they could believe. Father, would you bring them to the Savior? Would you bring them to our family that we may come alongside of them and they us in a beautiful way that reflects your purposes for the church? Father, again, we thank you for this time that we have in the Lord today. Even now, as we go to this time of communion, may, may we do so with joy and with hope that Christ would be praised and that we would be encouraged. We pray this in his name. Amen.